Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of the Catholic Podcast. This is another one of these solo germ episodes where I am taking a microphone by myself and just speaking to you about this particular topic. <clears throat> Today, however, thankfully, no heavy stuff, no politics, nothing like that. What I wanted to do today is I wanted to share with you guys um, some experiences in my life. I'm starting this new series called Germeries <laughs> because, first of all, I can't think of a clever nickname to save my life, but because I wanted to share some episodes from my life that have taught me a lot about what it means to be a faithful Catholic, in a sense, as well as some fun times and good things that I, I remember about my life. And so let's just jump right into it not waste any more of your time here. Tonight, Today's episode, the first one in this new series, is going to focus on the 10-day experience that I had during my fall Rome 2018 semester, because this time for me was one of the most enlightening in a long time. Um, it's not, Rome in general was a fantastic experience. Living in Rome, traveling around and from Greece to other places, is, it taught me so much about the world and helped me see things in a much wider, much more, you know, general light than maybe I had before. And to learn a lot about my faith in general as well. Because of course, as I go to Catholic school, a lot of the, a lot of the topics and things that we cover have to do with faith and its, and its relationship to logic, to the mind. And so what we would do is we would visit a lot of churches and things in my room semester. A lot of, a lot of our class trips would be to basilicas, cathedrals, famous, um, locations like Assisi um, where saints walked and lived for you know the durations of their lives and that like that is probably the first big thing right is just that being there and walking in the places where these people walked is definitely was what definitely it struck me a lot it made me much much more aware that all of these stories that I had read were real these are real people and they did these things you know as as you know some can sometimes you can run the risk when you're hearing stories of the saints to forget that these people are real people that have lived and have struggled just like us and i mean for me that was just one of the biggest things is able to see that place those places and and learn more about my faith as a whole was just incredible but let's start from the stop <laughs> stop let's let's start from the top here, shall we? For anybody that does not go to the University of Dallas, has never experienced the Rome semester, it's a study abroad program that my university puts on where they take about 90 to 100 kids, they stick them on a campus for the entire semester in Rome. And then there's a lot of bunch of extra bells and whistles, but one of the most important, I think, for any student is the 10 day, is 10 day, is actually the, the, the term that we use to describe it because it is what it is. It's 10 days. 10 days that campus is closed. 10 days that we cannot be on campus. 10 days that we are encouraged to go out and travel and, and learn more and, and enjoy just the continent of Europe. There's no no teachers, no professors, no class-guided trips. This is all self-planned. Anything that you want to experience, anywhere you want to go, you can do it. Just go ahead and book the flights. So for my 10 day, would fall in the second in the mid midweek of October. It would begin on, um, let's see, October 11th, I believe, would have been the last day of classes, and ended October 21st. And the reason I know that is because October 22nd is my birthday, and that my birthday was the day after 10 day ended. 
<laughs> so like the Monday after the Sunday we got back. So one of the big things that I knew going into Rome was that um, St. Oscar Romero, the Archbishop of San Salvador and El Salvador, was going to be canonized at some point during the fall. I had not... I, I came to find out that it would be October 14th would be the day that he would his canonization would take place alongside St. Paul VI and uh, a couple of other saints who... Forgive me, I don't remember their names because those are the two big ones. And I really wanted to go. Uh, St. Oscar Romero, to my parents especially, was just, before he was ever canonized, was already a saint. For the people of El Salvador, he was their saint. And it was the greatest sorrow for the country when he was martyred for, for speaking out against injustices during that civil war in the 1980s. Or 1970s. I forgive me. I am so not clear on the history, but yeah, he was shot in the heart while he was celebrating mass. As he was going to go celebrate the Eucharist, walking away from the pulpit um, toward the altar, he was shot from outside the church through the door, which happened to be open at the time, because El Salvador, as a country, is usually just never <laughs> it is never cold, so it's usually very hot, and that's. And the air conditioning, as it is a very poor country, we open the doors to kind of let some cool air in to any kind of any kind of building. And unfortunately for for Saint Oscar Romero, that is how the assassin uh, killed him, through it, shooting through that open door. So growing up, I heard so many stories because my parents actually lived during that time during the Civil War in El Salvador, heard a lot of his preaching, witnessed his martyrdom. Not themselves personally, they weren't actually there in the building, but they, as citizens of El Salvador, they witnessed his martyrdom and his funeral, and just the legacy that he left behind is something that I think is great on its own. Just if you if you look at his story and you look at it as just a saintly story, you say his man was incredible, but to the people of El Salvador, he was, like, just the most saintly person. Like before, I, I remember going back when I was in high school, well before he was canonized, I think he was about to be beatified, um, visiting my, my family in El Salvador. And I walked around and almost every church, every church had a picture of him. Every school building had a mural painted of him. It was just, I had never seen anything like it myself. And it was frankly just the stories of my mom my mom and dad admired him so much and they had they made sure that i knew about his legacy growing up and learned about it so yeah besides the point they just wanted to give a little bit of information on saint oscar romero but uh, and why it was so important for me personally to attend his canonization i mean in lieu of my parents being there i was kind of their representative they had lived through his you know his death and i would be seeing his kind of not entrance into heaven, of course, I think he's already been there for a long, long time, but kind of recognition by the entire Catholic Church as a holy, holy man. And so for me, it was incredibly important to find some way to attend that event. Now, of course, I had no clue going in exactly how I was going to attend this event, how I was going to get tickets, and I didn't, I didn't know how it worked. And so 
<laughs> I had the plan, like, oh, I'm going to stay in Rome, and then I'm going to go there. But I had no clue if I was even going to be able to get in. Thankfully for me, look, I would never have known this on my own, but a big, huge shout-out of appreciation to Monsignor Fucinaro, who is not our chaplain and on Due Santi, but he is a, a a a major figure. I think it's the best way to put it, a major figure in the faith life of the campus. He was holding on Mondays on Mondays um, they would hold what we call Dead Theologian Society. We would gather around and, and ask and converse about faith and topics related to faith. And during that you know, I, I don't know what motivated me to open my mouth. I'm just going to chalk it up to the Holy Spirit. It motivated me to, like, I don't know what motivated me to open my mouth and speak, but I spoke and I mentioned St. Oscar Romero and, like, his impact on my life, my parents' lives, the, my, you know, El Salvador's as a country. And he actually asked me, hey, so do, do you want to go to the canonization? I said, oh my God, of course. I've just been kind of winging it because I have no clue exactly how to get in. He's like, I'll get you some tickets for you. Because Monsignor Fuccinaro works at the Vatican. I forget which office directly, but I was stunned. I didn't even know I needed tickets. But he got them for me. And he, I, I went um, the Saturday of, after classes had ended, I, I stopped by the Vatican and like the offices where he worked. And he, Give me the give me the envelope, give me the tickets. To this day, I don't have them currently where I am in my new apartment, but I have them stashed I have them stored away in a box in my dresser in my room at home. And just as just kind of a reminder that of those those tickets. I have those tickets still of that incredible event. Now <laughs> I have wasted around ten minutes just talking about it without even actually getting to the the topic, which is ten day. But I just wanted to be clear that this was a big it was already going to be a big part of my 10-day. I was going to have to work my schedule, my travel schedule, anything that I wanted to do around this event. Because like, this was a given. I'm going to this. I don't know how, but I'm going to this. And so that kind of threw a little bit of a wrench in my, well, in my, in my planning for 10-day. Because everybody usually is just very eager to start 10-day once it is right around the corner. You know, classes end early that Friday around 11 in the morning and people had flights and trains leaving like 1 p.m 3 p.m like everybody was getting off campus well the getting was good and so for me i had this already this event that i had i am going to and it's here in rome i didn't want to have to convince a group of my friends to stick around for a weekend in rome when they could be out traveling and experiencing the rest of europe because, I mean, we've been in Rome. We live there. For, or we, live, we live there. Like, why would we want to stay there? And, you know, considering I only had tickets for myself, I didn't have any other tickets for anybody else. I wanted, you know, I, I didn't want to hassle anybody into being like, you got to stay here. You got to stay here in Rome with me. And so what ended up happening is my friend Luke, shout out to Luke out there, Luke Pelletier, shout out to Luke Pelletier. I talked to him before... Um, we left, and we I ended up agreeing to kind of uh, meet his group in Krakow, Poland. Um, that Monday. Yeah, that Monday. I would depart kind of from Rome Sunday evening. I'd take an overnight train to Vienna. From Vienna, I would work my way through a series of buses and trains across the Czech Republic, and then to Poland. 
So I was, I ended up spending that first weekend on my own. And I think it was one of the most genuine weekends that I spent in Rome as a, you know, the whole time. I think that Friday when the time classes ended, we had, um, I believe we had like until like 12 p.m. or so on the, on Saturday to, to get off the campus. And so what I did is I, I ended I booked a, a one, uh, a one bedroom, a, a one bedroom, or just kind of like I, I'm calling. I'm gonna call it an alcove because the room was tiny, but <laughs> room in a hostel close by to St. Peter's Square because I, you know, I, I might have been able to find something cheaper somewhere else, but I, I made sure to to book close by to St. Peter's Square so I didn't have to go too far um, to reach um, to reach the the canonization mass. And from there, I mean, that just kind of became a hub of operations for the weekend. So I, I checked into my hostel at about 12. The guy, I still remember him, spoke really good English, super friendly. He gave me the keys, you know, kind of left me to my to my own. And I was like, well, what to do next, you know? And so what I did is I ended up spending that, that day... Um, I ended up spending that day just kind of walking around Rome taking it all in you know I didn't talk to a lot of people obviously because I don't speak Italian um, I tried ciao bella to everybody out there that means hi you beautiful people um, but it was it was just it was surreal to me to just have this kind of freedom to go and do and whatever I wanted you know obviously within reason within reason um, just accessible to me like the like the train system that Rome has um public train system Rome has is very good for getting places like genuinely and also I mean Europe was Europe has is much older than the United States the United States has been built to accommodate of course its size is huge but it's like the public transportation systems here are nothing compared to the cities in, in, in Europe. They depend much more on that and walking and getting places and stuff like that is much more prevalent. It's, it's like things are within walking distance more or less. And if they're not within walking distance, you feel comfortable walking there. You're not like you have to take a taxi. Um, so you can take the train for the big kind of, you know, if you want to jump from one side of the city to another, you can do that. And so I took everything in, right? I, I went around, I walked around, I stopped for food, obviously big pizza guy so being in Italy was a fantastic thing great great pizza um, I would start I stopped at um, I stopped for gelato and then I was it was kind of like a little bit of a loss as to what I really wanted to do I was like well what, what can I do at this point and so I walked around I, I kind of stopped into a couple of churches that were open you know, I did some praying and kind of an anticipation for tomorrow's event. And then finally, I was like, you know what? I have not seen a movie in a theater for a long time. And there is a very good movie called Venom out right now. And I want to watch it. And so what I, <laughs> I searched on my phone, I was like, I wanted to know whether these movie theaters would... I would have just subtitles in English or anything like that in um, for their movies if you wanted to go watch a movie in English or that they would have dubs of the feature films that they would import in English and be able to put it on in the theater and 
let me just say the Google results were inconclusive. I had absolutely no clue where to go for a dubbed movie in English. And so I was just like, you know what? I speak Spanish. Italian is another romance language and has the same roots. I can kind of get it, perhaps. No, even if I do watch it in Italian, I can. I mean, it's a movie. Everything's playing out on the screen. You don't really need to understand all that much about what people are saying. You can kind of just watch the action and kind of figure out what's going on. Of course, they're good actors in that movie specifically. And so what I, I did is I just I walked to the nearest movie theater that I could find, cinema, as they're called in Europe, and I bought a ticket to see them to see Venom. Now let me tell you guys, it was the most confusing experience of my life. <laughs> it was it was so confusing to walk into a movie theater as somebody had never seen a movie in any other language in a theater besides English and get in there and hear the movie in Italian. You know, Tom Hardy starred in that movie. I know Tom Hardy doesn't speak Italian. I know that voice actor that dubbed the uh, dubbed the movie in Italian. Uh, very good voice actually. Very good voice. <laughs> um but suffice to say, I mean, I just didn't I didn't get any of that. But I I thought it was funny. I was like, "You know what? You know, this is the kind of things that you can do when you're in Rome. These kind of experiences you can have. These kind of fun experience you can look back on and like, ah, you know, that was funny. That was funny. Look at the hijinks I got myself into there. And I wish I could tell you all that I watched the entire movie and I tried to figure everything out. But no, I fell asleep like one hour into the movie. <laughs> it was... Uh, I'm not going to say Venom was a bad movie because there might be some people that think it's a really good movie. But at least for me, I just... I, I didn't... Once Combined with that I didn't understand what anybody was saying on the screen, it was not the, the, the most highly engaging of movies, in my opinion at least. To, well, not even in my opinion, to me it wasn't very highly engaging. But I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was super funny when I walked out of the theater. I laughed at myself almost the entire way. I was just like, man, that's so funny. I had no clue what was going on there. Suffice to say, I mean, suffice to say that canonization masses are a big deal. Many people go to them. And so it's in your best interest to get up early and go and be in, well, not in, maybe not in line. I think it is a line, actually. Well, no, no, here's the deal. So you can get in, you get into St. Peter's Square with your ticket, and then you stand kind of in like this entryway like there's a line on the entryway to get in and then you go and you find your seats now of course i'm there by myself i have like nobody that i know you know and maybe i'm skipping a little bit ahead in the story so i went back i went to bed and i had planned to get up like super early the canonization math i think was set for nine in the morning and I, I was planning to get up at 6 and be there early to kind of get maybe not the best seats because I'm competing with like 100,000 people, but good seats, you know, good seats. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> that did not happen. I have to be honest with you guys. I slept through my alarm. I woke up. It, it wasn't even that really that bad. 7.30, right? I showered and stuff. So by the time I was ready to to leave, I had like the 20-minute walk to St. Peter's. And I, I was getting there about 40, 45 minutes before the event. So it wasn't terrible, but I mean, I was 
you know, not as early as I want it to be. So there it is. I get to St. Peter's Square, right? I get to St. Peter's Square. I have my ticket out. I, I walk in, you know, and I'm just kind of standing in line. I'm just kind of figuring out, like, so how is this going to go, you know? Because I've never been to a candidation mass before. <laughs> I certainly haven't talked to anybody that has. And so when I got there and I got in, I was waiting in line. Everybody's speaking some sort of language that I don't understand. Um, Italian, German. There were a couple of German saints that day. Um, just from all over the world, which was in itself just a fantastic experience to see. So many people just in for a common, just showing up for a common celebration. It doesn't matter your language or your nationality, anything like that. You're there to celebrate the lives of these holy people. And just that was incredible. And I, uh, I was just standing in line and I realized that I was standing behind to what looked like looked like priests to me. They had their, you know, their cassocks and their their collars and everything. And I was conf I was kind of you know, looking at that. I was like I was looking at them and I was like, hmm. I wonder. I wonder because I knew that there were seminarians from North America, specifically the United States, that studied at North American College in Rome. We had four pe four seminarians that would come in and would talk to us about things. You know, they would I, um, they would also organize events like visiting holy holy places in Rome. They would organize those events and take us there and give us like tours and stuff, which was super generous of them. I mean, they're already studying for the priesthood, but now they're coming out here, a bunch of dumb college kids, and they're giving them tours of holy places. I mean, just incredible. I love those guys. And so I was sitting there. I was kind of, I was like, I wonder. And then I realized that they were speaking English, that I could understand them. And so what I did is I unheaded and I, I heard, actually in passing, one of them mentioned the University of Dallas. And I mean, I took my shot right there. I mean, if they're going to mention UD, I, I got to say something. And so I let my Texas come out and on my Texas draw, like, where are y'all from? Where are y'all from? And they turn around, and I, I don't, I, you're gonna have to forgive me. I don't even know if they're here, if they're ever gonna listen to this podcast. But you're gonna have to forgive me for the other seminarian that I forgot his name. But one of them I do remember very clearly, and that is Alex Fry. Introduced himself, and I was like, well, well how do y'all, how do y'all know about the University of Dallas? And they were like, well, we studied there. You know, as you do, just running into wit. I want you all to think about that for a second right there. I'm in a, I am in a space with 100,000 people from all, it's probably harder. It is probably, it is, the mo no, it's definitely easier to find somebody who I can't converse with in any language than it is to find somebody that is an English-speaking seminarian that went to the University of Dallas. I mean, coincidences of coincidences. God works in mysterious ways. Only he knows why those seminarians were in front of me in that line. Well, actually, I think I know why they're in front of me in that line, because I needed some friends. <laughs> I was kind of lonely, just all on my own. And I went, and, uh, and, and they were like, well, we have some of our buddies. We have some of our seminarian buddies. They're saving us, like, seats, you know, a row of seats for us want to sit with us and now i of course i said yes this is what i, I want i want you to understand that first of all i did say yes but in the back of my head 
I thought, it's a little bit strange for me. I'm sitting here in my, like, <laughs> navy blue polo that I'm wearing. Did, like, this entire row just full of seminarians. Cassock, 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 polo? Cassock, 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 cassock. I mean, it, it's just the, <laughs> the optics of it. I was just like, huh, that seems a little bit weird. And I, was, and I looked up to the sky and I was like, God, I hope you're not saying something by having me sit with these seminarians. <laughs> And we had, uh, this is kind of a dumb joke there, but we had seats by the, if you've ever seen a picture of St. Peter's Square, there is a huge obelisk in the middle of it. And we had seats about 30 to so feet away from it. Our row was about 30 feet away from it. We were more or less next to the obelisk. And that's kind of in the middle of St. Peter's Square, so I didn't have, like, front row seats. I couldn't see the Pope, like, with from my own eyes. I had to watch him on the screen from where I was. But, like... Suffice to say, they got some good sound systems at the Vatican because it sound carried. It felt like a good mass, right? And I, you know, I still have the video to this day. As we sat down in that, as we, as I, as I, as we found the their buddies in a row, and I sat with them, and everybody, they were chatting among themselves. I kind of took a moment to take all in everything that I was experiencing because what what hit me the most is that. I might go. I might have. I might be blessed to have the opportunity to find another canonization in my life. You know, God knows. I don't know what's what my future holds. But I would never. I will never have the opportunity to experience the canonization of somebody that my parents personally heard, saw, and admired. I will never like. In many ways, I. Oscar, St. Oscar Romero to me felt like family because I heard about him and I knew so much about him. You know, it's like seeing your best friend go up for an award. Now, I wouldn't say that St. Oscar Romero was my best friend, but in the same way that somebody that I admired highly, you know, kind of like seeing like a very good friend of yours get an award that they've been working for for a long time. Because suffice to say, St. Oscar Romero's case was ran into road a lot of roadblocks. Um, people were concerned that he might have links to liberation theology, this kind of Marxist twisting of the gospel um, that's really like very heavy on social justice and 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 you know not as suffice that. I don't really know a lot about liberation theology. All I know is that it's not looked upon as a good thing in the general church. You know, there were even qu there were questions of whether his death was religiously motivated or politically motivated, which to me, I thought were stupid questions in the first place. I mean, the guy was shot celebrating mass. I think that shows that they hated what he stood for. He, they hated what he said, and they hated what he stood for, which was the Catholic Church. You know, so many things that my parents would read these news and they would kind of get a little bit disappointed when they came out. And it's like, oh, it might take more longer. Like, it occurred to me that, you know, they were getting to see somebody that they saw live as a saint be canonized as an actual saint. And I, as their son, was kind of their representative, their link, you know, from thousands and thousands of miles away being there present at it so it, the enormity of the moment was not lost on me i i really 
I took a and not not only the the significance for me personally of the canonization, but just in general. Looking around, I saw flags of every every color, every stripe. Just you know, I want to I want to make something very very clear. I don't know what the country of Chile their stake was in in this canonization, but some people made the trip out from Chile. You know where Chile is? Chile is a long strip on the western coast of Southern America, of South America, excuse me. And they have flown all the way from there to Rome to the Vatican. That's incredible. I mean, just think about that. That is incredible. You know, like German flags, um, you know, French flags, um, flags from the Philippines, from Australia. Like, oh, and the Italians were out in force. Let, let me tell you, the Italians were also out in force. Because Paul VI um, was Italian, you know, by, by, by heritage. That they were out in force. Italian flags were everywhere. But I think, and to me, what was most poignant was just the utter absurdity of the amount of Salvadorian flags that existed in that space. I say absurdity because they were everywhere. Le- legitimately everywhere. I've made this joke when I've told this story a lot, is that I have th- I don't think I've ever been in a place where thousands and thousands of people could end up being my cousins, and I didn't even know about it. But, like, to me, just... El Salvador is one of the poorest countries in Central America. Whenever I go there, I'm just struck by the amount of things that we have that they, like, would never have ever thought of. Like, of course, there are modern things like cell phones and things, but, like, internet internet is so much different and the only reason that my mom's family can have internet is because my mom and dad you know help support them that extra money they can't pay for internet on their own sometimes they can't even get food on their own there's a poor country one of the poorest in the world and people have I would imagine have saved up for this trip from the like from the day they could start working and they have spent all of that money to come here and see their, you know, their countrymen be enshrined as a saint, or enshrined, canonized as a saint. In a small way, it's not just a recognition of what Saint Oscar Romero did for the world, but a recognition of El Salvador as a country that can produce a saint, which right now, I think a lot of people think that that country is good for nothing. But. I digress. Back to the story of the event. So we got there. We I sat in the row with all the Horrible Seminarians. The canonization mass was just incredible. Um, you know, just once in a lifetime experience in that sense. Seeing all these people there celebrating mass together in Latin, the language of the church. Seeing Pope Francis, hearing the canonization, like right in Latin, reading it off a little booklet, which I still have saved as well, and just looking around and just seeing all these people, all of these Catholics who are just so, so ready, so, so faithful. You know, it, to me, it spoke not only to like, you know, the enormity of the event, but the enormity of the Catholic Church, that all of these countries and places and creeds had 
a stake in something here, which was the Eucharist, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And it was striking to me to see, you know, because when you're in when you're in the United States or when you're in El Salvador or when you're in any country, you look around and you see you, you think of your people, right? And it's like you see people around you is like, oh, these people, Jesus died for them, you know, because it's it's where you are. Like you you can't really comprehend how big the world is from sitting in like an <laughs> in an apartment in you know Dallas. But it was I was kind of able to see just how big the world is in that sense, with so many people from different parts of the world and present in that one event. That um, the statement Jesus died for these people took on a much greater significance in my head than it ever had before. Because it meant that Jesus died for not only these Italians, but for these French, for these German people, for these people from the Philippines, for these people from Chile who I still don't know what they were doing in the Vatican. People from Africa were there, people from Asia, people from, of course, my seminarian friends, which I can call them friends now because we got to be pretty good friends. My seminarian friends from the United States. You know. Jesus died for all of these people. Jesus died to save the world. Like, I understood that in that moment way better than I ever had before. But, yeah, so, canonization mass, incredible. Right, Lionel's on lifetime experience. Um, travel to Krakow after the canonization mass was not as incredible. I will be very honest, that was the high point of my entire 10 day. You know, no disrespect to my travel group or anything like that. Like, but I mean, it's kind of hard to beat a canonization mass for like, you know, incredibleness or awesomeness. My travel group was fun. Like, but <laughs> I mean, canonization mass just can't compete with that. But <laughs> it's just a tr travel. Oh my goodness! Uh, so what? After the canonization mass, I had a train. My a, my overnight train to Vienna left at six, but I had to check out of my hostel by twelve that day. And so I I rushed back to my hostel. I got I left all my things kind of packed in my bag, um, and I got ready to go. You know, I checked out, and now I'm, I'm literally lugging a suitcase around Rome, just as is. I'm sure it's not foreign or, you know, silly to them. They probably see that all the time. You know, I was just kind of lugging my suitcase all around Rome, and I was just trying to figure out what to do from there, you know? What am I going to do in these six hours? Well, what I ended up doing is just, again, not much. <laughs> I went and got lunch at this like this little restaurant. Um, no, nah, yeah, yeah. It was just 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 another pizzeria. Just went there, um, and then I mean I, I I didn't see personally much of a reason to kind of just play with my time. I sense I, I guess I don't really know how I'm saying it, but just I didn't want to waste time getting to the train station and being there you know I wanted to get there and I was just like you know I'm sure there's a lot more to do in Rome if I put my mind to it but I want to be on time for my train even if that means being there four hours early 
And so I went down to the train station, just chilled in the lobby, you know, after I got in. Um, and then I got on my train. And again, this is the things that you, you experience in your own, but you don't experience anywhere else. I got on my train, right? And these overnight trains, they're like, you have your small, there's a small cabin, right? You can fit about, it's about, you got about seats for four people. And so I'm, I am hoping and praying that not a lot of other people want to go to Vienna on this overnight train. And I was just like, please just leave me to myself. And uh, Holy Spirit again interceding for me said, you know what? You need some friends. And what did I get? I got two, like of all people, of all people. I didn't get Italians. I didn't get Europeans. What I got as like, passengers that were sitting in the same like car as like the same cubicle or 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 space as me this overnight trip were two indian guys who actually spoke really good english and so we could have conversations which was good i remember very i remember like just talking to them about many many things and like they were sharing parts of their code like parts of their upbringing why they were in europe and stuff like that i was kind of sharing kind of my little story and things like that and, and you know it was very over, over overall a very positive experience to kind of just interact with these, uh, these kind of strangers for you know the rest of that night before we went to bed you know and so we get to Vienna Vienna we get to Vienna you know drive train goes overnight and so we get to Vienna around eight in the morning these guys, you know, we say our goodbyes. They go their separate ways. So now, what I have, what I need to do is, I need to find my bus. No, no, not my bus. Actually, this is no. That's that's wrong. I needed to find the train that I was taking to the Czech Republic. And you know, of course, Vienna. Also, I don't speak German. I don't understand German at all, or Austrian. I don't even know which one they they speak in Austria to this day. I'm still a little unclear. And so, but thankfully, of course, people speak pretty good English there. And my train from Austria to the Czech Republic was about another, let's see. So the bus ride was about an hour and a half from Krakow, from, from the Czech Republic to Krakow. It took another, it was, it was like, it was actually, it wasn't one train ride specifically to um, this town where I was going to catch a bus to Krakow. It was a series of trains that I had to, t- that I had to, you know, I had to get off at a stop, jump on the next train. And it was about six hours of that travel. I was, oh my goodness, it was like the adrenaline that it takes to travel in that type of way is just, you know, you're, you're on alert, especially when you can't speak the 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 language you can't understand like the signs all that well and you're just kind of relying on the internet to help you you know you're all by yourself you're trying to get to this specific place it was the most kind of zoned in that I've been I would every moment every moment I was just I was alert I was ready I was ready to go and this something might have had to do with that was just the obscene amount of coffee that I drank <laughs> to stay awake and so I made it to the little town this is a little town i can't remember its name in in the czech republic it's about let's see 
It's about an hour and a half away from Krakow, but it's a small town. This isn't a big city. And so you get there, right? And now you're at these, basically I'm just at the train station. You know, it's this tiny little town. There's a train station there. It's just, that's where you stop. That's where you're waiting for that bus to come and get you and take you to Krakow in Poland. And at that train station, I had probably the best pizza that I had in Rome during during the Rome semester at any point. In that tiny town in the Czech Republic, in this little back, like this, and they had in the train station, right? There's a lobby where people are waiting for their trains. And then you kind of, you, you walk out these doors, you take like a right, and there's like a little kitchen there selling like food. Now, of course, I don't speak Czech, don't understand Czech, can't read it. Thank God for pictures. <laughs> had a picture of some pizza and a Pepsi on the wall, and I pointed at it, and I said, that's what I want. And the pizza that came out was fantastic. Literally amazing. I don't know why, don't know how, don't know how these guys in this tiny little town in the Czech Republic are making this incredible pizza, but they were. <laughs> and so, <laughs> in preparation, of course, for, for my, my little bus ride. And then the bus, the way the bus is, the way the bus works is that there's little stop that if you are not paying complete and total attention to where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do, you would miss that bus because I almost missed that bus. I just could not find, I could not find the stop on my like on my ticket. And I was like, I was looking around and I was like, well, what do I do? Where where is this bus pick me up? And so I rolled the dice and I was like, I really hope these people speak English. Roll the dice, and. <laughs> And thankfully, this woman spoke the most broken English that I have ever heard in my life. But she was able to direct me to this little bench outside to the right of the train station where the bus picked people up. Don't know why it's set up that way, but it is. And it was the most frustrating thing to me because I'd actually gone outside. And I was like, well, I guess I have to walk to this bus stop. Or I'll see like the, you know the building where I'm supposed to go and there was nothing it's just an entrance into like the, the the town I was like well I don't know what I'm doing I don't know where I'm going and I had turned and I had seen that bench but I had never thought that that bench is where people were picked up by this bus and it's so you know swallowed my frustration went and sat on that bench for another hour or so waiting for my bus to get there and my bus got there um it was strange though it was really strange like the conduct like the conductor got off and he was like guys like he's he, like i assume he said in check or something that he had to take a half hour break because he just walked off after he said like his piece into the train station didn't come out for another half hour don't know what that was about. I was confused because I was like, thought you had to keep a schedule, dude. Like I'm, I'm sitting here and this is the time that I says I'm gonna take it that you are going to take me to this city. But now you're like, I guess you're piecing out for some cigarettes. I don't know. Like <laughs> you know, thankfully it was just it, I, I thought that he's like take ahead and take take a break. He just went inside. I guess he used the bathroom or something. Came right back out. Started checking everybody's bags and you know. 
no problems, thankfully. Um, and I was on that bus, right? And this is just the time now is about four o'clock, four o'clock or so that, um, yeah, it was four o'clock when I got on my bus to go to Krakow. And there's another like hour and a half to two hours of, of, a, of a trip. You know, so now I've been, literally I've been traveling for 24 hours from the moment that that train left Rome at six, got to Vienna, and now I've been traveling the entire day, you know, to get to Krakow, to get to this, to get to this spot, right? And, you know, I am just, I am fatigued beyond belief. Just, it is, I am so, so tired, you know, so tired of, of this, you know, just obscene amount of traveling that I did. And look, I'm sure that there was an easier way to get to Krakow, but this was, the, I, was I thought I was going to take the scenic route. <laughs> I thought this was the scenic route, and, you know... At the end of the day, as tired as I as I was by the end of the day, I look back and I'm just like, you know what? It might not have been the most fun during the time that I was traveling. But I can remember like snippets and things of like, you know, cities and towns that I saw along the way that I never would have seen if I had just grabbed a plane. So I, I'm pretty thankful for that experience. So the bus, back to the story, of course. I. I get on the bus, bus drives about two hours or so, gets to Krakow. Krakow, it's already dark by the time I get there, like pitch black night. Of course, this is October in the fall, so daylight is extended less and less into the night. I get there around seven o'clock or so, and I, you know, I get there, it's about seven o'clock or so, it's pitch black. I, of course, new city, no clue where I'm going, Google Maps. On my phone, and I text you know my friends to like where the address is, where am I gonna go, what am I gonna, where am I gonna meet you guys, and <laughs> it turns out actually they of course they had been the whole day there. My friends had been there the whole day. They had done their stuff, and they, as it is, college students, you know, night, want to go out, right? It's fun. You want to have some fun. Of course, then it. I don't want like. Don't get this misconstrued. This is I am. This is me. Not me blaming my friends for going out at night, because I had taken an eternity to get there. I honestly, I had thought I was gonna get there at about four or so, but like the travel time was extended by a lot more than I thought it did. And so my friends had every right to go out. I'm not 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 bashing them. Not bashing them at all for that. But <laughs> I got there, right, and I texted my, my friend Patrick and my friend Kateri, and I was like, okay, so what's the address for the Airbnb, like, for the, the place that we're staying? And they gave me the address, and it turns out, like, of course, in Europe, Uber and ride-sharing services are mostly not, you know, actually, they're not accessible, you know? And so you have to walk anywhere. You have to walk mostly everywhere. And... <laughs> Mercy of mercy, this place is like 30 minutes away from the, the bus stop where I've been dropped off. 
and I just, uh, I sighed, and I looked up at this guy, and I was like, God, you are testing me, you are testing me with this travel time, and all this stuff, but it's like, I gotta get there, right, and I, fo I followed Google Maps, this kind of walking directions, I got there, and it just ends up being like this block, right, I'm, the apartment actually ended up being very nice once I got into it, but like, there's just a block, right, and I am just there, I'm confused. I'm like, where is this place? And they were like, hold on, hold on. We're coming. We're coming. We have the keys. You know, we're going to come let you in. You're going to let your stuff out. Put your stuff down. And, and then you can come back out with us. And, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Just <laughs> think of that for a second. I mean, like my friends were, of course, best intentions. They want to share. Like, you know, they want me to, they don't want me to miss out on the night or anything like that. But I've just been traveling for 24 hours. You tried sleeping in an overnight train before? It, let me tell you something. It's not sleeping. It is not sleeping. Like, it is like this state where you are not asleep, but you're like half conscious. And it's like every little jolt, every stop wakes you up. Nothing. Like you don't get a good night's sleep on a train. And so I'm exhausted. I've put myself full of espresso this entire day to make sure that I don't fall asleep on a train and end up like in Hungary or something. You know, I'm, I have just spent this entire day traveling. The last thing that I want to do is go out. But I'm, you know, I'm just like, at the end of the day, look, I. This is another kind of small point that I may or may not have made at the beginning of this episode. But Luke, Luke was my only one really good friend in that travel group. Luke was traveling with kind of this other friend group that I was actually really not a part of up until Rome. And so I was not personally acquainted with a lot of the people that we were that I was going to be traveling with, which made for an interesting experience on its own. Which, as I see here, I'm coming up about 50 minutes on the episode, so I will save the rest of 10 day for part for episode two. But that's kind of the the last point that I want to make is that, you know, I was going into this not really not really knowing my travel group or anything like that, and I was just kind of there, at least in my kind of own understanding of it. They could not have like, obviously. Big kudos to them. Big kudos to my friends Patrick, Josephine, Kateri, Caroline. Um, yeah, I'm not missing anybody else. Luke and I were the last two members of that group. Um, oh, and shout out to Alex and Reed. Alex and Reed joined us here and there because they had forgotten to book hotel rooms, and so they ended up staying in ours, which another story entirely. But we got, like, like they, they were doing a really, they did a really good job of making me feel included when I was kind of scared that I would, that I would just kind of be along as a passenger and that I would just, it would not be an enjoyable experience. It ended up being one of the most enjoyable experiences on my own semester. You know, I, I have memories to this day of all of the things that happened and just, you know, we might not be the best of friends. We might not, we might not, we might not be, you know, besties doing everything together nowadays, but we will always, we will always have as a shared experience, that 10-day trip that we had. And for that, I mean, it's just, I, I, I am 100%, I'm supremely thankful to God that I, that I was put into that group. Uh, you know, that, that it accepted me, that it let me stay with them, they let me stay with them, and just experience kind of this 10-day with them and ride together like that, you know? <laughs> but, you know, plaudits to them aside, I was, like, scared. I was 
of course I was going in there a little bit scared that I wasn't going to be able to kind of really get to know people and as tired as I was from traveling the entire day I knew that this was a really good chance for me to get to know like people a lot better and you know a lot of people had been following a similar route to the ones that to the one that um, our, my travel group had planned out and so there were a lot of people from UD actually in Krakow that day so it was, a, I can see people. I can see people that I haven't seen for like three or four days. You know, I can see my friends and just kind of share with them and have a good time, you know? <laughs> so they, <laughs> so it was, this was all going through my head as I'm waiting for my friends to get there to unlock the Airbnb, you know? <laughs> I get there, they get there, uh, say hi, say hi to everybody, put my stuff up, and then we go back out. And this, the, the night in Krakow, I... <sighs> It was, it was. I'm not gonna say that it was. It was memorable for me. It was just kind of another run of the mill night, you know, going out to the bars, seeing, having fun, talking to people. Um, at least I, I personally didn't drink, but just being there and experiencing it, sharing that experience with so many of my peers was just, just incredible to me. Um, but I have used up fifty odd minutes of your time to tell this fun little story that I had that I wanted to share with everybody and I didn't really ever really get to the point or the lessons that I learned so I think to sum it up what I wanted to say kind of here at the end of this episode is that at least for the first part of my 10 day you know the three days that I spent in Rome and this one day that I spent traveling ended up near in Krakow I think the, the, the memories and, and lessons that I take away from that time is that you know the world is a big place there are so many people in this world that are different, but that we have something that unites us, at least for, for, for Catholics and for everybody in general, because Jesus died for everybody, regardless of belief, whether he did or not, he died for you. You know, we share that in common as human race. We're saved people. And so getting coming to worship the Savior together was, for me, one of the biggest moments of faith growth that I have had in my life, because it reminded me that the, the the church spreads across the world and that it is not an American church. It is not Canadian church. It is not a Salvadorian church. It is not an Italian church, a French church, a German church. There are churches in all of these countries, but they, it is all of those churches are the Catholic church. And Christ is present in each and every one of them. That, for me, was, it made faith not just this personal journey that one takes to believe in Jesus and be saved, but an incredible experience that we share with the world. Thanks again for listening to the Catholic Podcast. Part 2 of 10 Day, Episode 2 of Germaries, will be out in the coming weeks. Appreciate you guys. God bless.